0: This is episode number forty-four with New York Times best-selling author Stephen M. R. Covey. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. Talk about a high-energy, passionate individual! Stephen M. R. Covey is all of that and then some. Stephen M. R. Covey is a New York Times and number one Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The Speed of Trust, The One Thing That Changes Everything. He is the former CEO of Covey Leadership Center, which, under his stewardship, became the largest leadership development company in the world. Stephen personally led the strategy that propelled his father's book, Dr. Stephen R. Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, to become one of the two most influential business books of the 20th century, according to CEO Magazine. As president and CEO of Covey Leadership Center, Stephen nearly doubled revenues while increasing profits by 12 times. During that period, the company expanded through the world into over 40 countries, greatly increasing the value of the brand and enterprise. The company was valued at $2.4 million when Stephen was first named CEO, and within three years, he had grown shareholder value to $160 million in a merger he orchestrated with Franklin Quest to form Franklin Covey. In this interview, Stephen talks about how to build trust, maintain it, regain it, and how important it is in both our everyday relationships and in the workforce. He talks about specific examples in his personal life and his business experiences where trust has played a critical role. We talk about the importance of trust and the role it plays in building our own self-confidence. Stephen wrote Speed of Trust back in 2006, which has sold over 2 million copies, and he's only gained passion and energy about this topic since then. Make sure you share this with your friends, nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And while you're listening to the episode, take a screenshot of it and post it on your Instagram stories and tag me at carrier underscore best you. Make sure you go follow Stephen on Twitter at Covey and go check out www.speedoftrust.com to get a copy of the latest edition of Speed of Trust that just came out a few months ago. Before we get into the show, I have a big announcement to make. As you know, setting goals and chasing them down is something I love to talk about on this show and I love to ask podcast guests about it. So I figured instead of just talking the talk, I'd walk the walk. I've set a goal for myself to increase my ratings and reviews for this show from 60 to 150 starting on July 15th and ending on September 15th. Now, I want the reviews to be honest reviews about why you enjoy the show and maybe even mention your favorite guest or two. I greatly appreciate every single review, so I want to make sure all of you have some skin in the game as well if you leave a review. With that being said, I'm giving you all the opportunity to win a special giveaway. The winner of this giveaway will receive a Best You coffee mug, two best you pens and a $50 Visa gift card. To enter the giveaway, all you have to do is follow me on Instagram at carrier underscore best you subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review. If you go to nickcarrier.com slash giveaway, you will see further instructions on how to enter for your chance to win. The winner will be announced via Instagram on Tuesday, August 27th. So be sure to be on the lookout after you enter. Again, all you have to do is go to nickcarrier.com slash giveaway to get your instructions on how to enter. Here's to setting a goal, creating an action plan on how to achieve it, and then executing. I really appreciate y'all's support. And remember, I'm still reading out a review of the week every single Monday, so this week's review of the week goes to Mrs. B, and it reads like this. Nick, loved the Valley Collins interview. My favorite comment was the one about Sully knowing he could land that plane in the river a perfect example of preparation, meeting opportunity. I really love that last part, Mrs. B, a perfect example of preparation, meeting opportunity. I really loved how she gave a specific example of a specific takeaway of hers. And I always love when people shout out a specific guest on their review. It makes me feel really good about the value that they got from that particular person. So thanks so much, Mrs. B. So make sure you leave a rating and review for a chance to be shouted out on next week's episode. But for now, it's time. It's time to work on being our best self today with the expert on trust, the New York Times bestselling author, Stephen M.R. Covey. All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm super fired up today. I have the one and only, the legendary Stephen M.R. Covey with me here today. Stephen, I appreciate you taking the time to spend with me today. Thank you, Nick. Real really excited to be with you as well. Awesome. Well, Stephen M. R. Covey, if you guys aren't familiar with him, um, he is the author of this New York Times bestselling book, The Speed of Trust, uh, the, one, the one thing that will change everything. He's a speaker and, and thought leader, and we're going to get a lot into the speed of trust, what it takes to build trust, what it takes to maintain it, how we regain it. And we're going to get into some of your professional life and your experiences, some advice for people in the workforce, all that good stuff. And I'm, I'm actually really excited because of so much of the content that I've already watched of you You know, you're such a high energy, passionate person about the things that you love to talk about, like trust and and all this sort of thing. So, I know we're going to have a lot of high energy and passion back and forth. So, you guys make sure you listen closely um, and get a lot of value and learn a lot from this conversation. But the way I want to start today, Stephen, is you know, you talk a lot about how we live in a low trust world nowadays. So, how do you think we got to this point where you live in a low trust world? Yeah, it's really
1: interesting, Nick, because you, you, you look around us, and you you know. You read the newspaper, you watch television, and and you're seeing almost everywhere you turn a crisis of trust, and and we're seeing it go down. Where people aren't sure can you can you trust the media? Uh, can you can you trust business? Can you trust government? Can you trust uh, political parties? Even even NGOs, you know, you're people are starting to question. And and um and so, you know, when people when there's misbehavior that goes on, it causes people to start to question. Gosh, what else, what else is happening? Could that be happening here? And we all become a little bit more careful, more cautious, more guarded, because none of us want to get burned. And then people respond back more careful, more cautious, more guarded. And what we can find ourselves, Nick, is perpetuating a vicious downward cycle, you know, of distrust and suspicion, creating more distrust and suspicion, and everybody feeling justified in the process. Distrust is contagious. And that's what's kind of happening right now in our society: is everywhere we turn, People are questioning: Can you trust this person? Can you trust this institution? So that's our context. And and um, if we if we kind of just let it play out, we'll probably continue the cycle yeah. because it perpetuates itself. And so I'm trying to say, you know, we got to counteract that. Now yeah. we need to, we need to be intentional and deliberate about building relationships of trust and extending trust. And even, even when there's a risk to be, you know, be smart about it, not a wild risk, but a, a smart calculated risk of saying, I, I choose to extend trust to people and, and and let them respond to that trust and watch it come back and try to reverse this downward cycle that we're in. So it, why does, is it happened? It's because it's where, you know, there's been misbehavior and it, it tends to perpetuate itself it's, it's contagious. And we're kind of in that process right now. So we've yeah. got to, We've got to counteract it intentionally.
0: Yeah, so what it sounds like to me is do you feel like because, you know, I feel like you start off kind of answering where people aren't maybe as open in every response, like they're walking on thin ice kind of around different people and scared to say the wrong thing. So do you feel like because that it that's such the a lot a lot of culture nowadays is you don't want to say the wrong thing, you don't want to see the wrong thing on the news, you don't want to put the wrong thing on the social media. You don't people don't necessarily believe enough in themselves that what they put out there or they don't believe as much in themselves to be able to say what they truly believe because they're going to get backlash from it. So do you believe that it's just kind of like starts with the individual there? Yes, I
1: there's no question that the solution to this trust crisis is by all of us looking in the mirror mm. and, and starting with ourselves, you know, and answering that key question, do I trust myself? Do I trust myself? Because if we don't, if we're really lacking that self-trust, that self-confidence, then that tends to get, ripple out into our relationships and onto teams and how we approach things. And we become more careful, cautious, guarded as well, because none of us, we, we don't want to get burned, but we also don't want to make a mistake. Right and um, and and it can you know paralyze people in this process effectively. So self trust <laughs> is the starting point.
0: Yeah. So how do we know if we're actually trusting ourselves? Because I feel like a lot of people are probably listening and be like, I trust myself. Um, but how does somebody know if they're not trusting themselves? Yeah. Well, you
1: kind of you can see it just in in the little things in your own little commitments that you make to yourself. Because interesting, Nick. The, the research shows that the number one behavior that builds trust with other people is to make another person a commitment and then to keep it. Uh-huh. Make another commitment and you keep it and repeat that process. Make a commitment, keep it, repeat. Make, keep, repeat. You can build trust with people fast that way. Guess what? That's also the fastest way to build trust with yourself. Mm-hmm. Learn to make yourself a commitment and to, and to keep it. We often don't treat ourselves with the same respect when it comes to commitments that we might with somebody else. And we make all kinds of commitments we never intend to keep. And it could be as little as I'm going to bed. I set my alarm and I say, hey, I need to get up and exercise. (laughs) Go to one of your fitness sessions. So I I set an hour earlier. I get up at five instead of six. And then the alarm goes off in the morning, you know, and I say, oh, my goodness. And I hit the snooze button, <laughs> or I, I, I say, "Oh, well, I'll exercise tomorrow." And you know, just that little thing—that was a little commitment. And someone might say, "That's not a commitment," but but maybe it was. And and uh, it's just in those little things, you can start to lose a sense of clarity, integrity, and power, where you're just not quite sure if you'll come through yourself. And and um, so if if you start with those little things, it tends to then translate into the bigger things. I, right. I'll, I'll just give you one little example of this. Yeah, um, please. This was Admiral William McRaven. He's the former um, commander of special operations for the United States military, retired a few years ago. But he was extraordinary. It was under his leadership that the raid that captured Osama bin Laden took place. You know, four-star admiral, just very uh, extraordinary person. And he went down after he retired from the military, you know, leading special operations, the elite of the elite, the best fighting forces in the world. He goes down to the University of Texas. He's the chancellor and he gives the commencement address. And here was his basic premise. He said, if you want to change the world, then make your bed, make your bed. And and his whole point was start with a little commitment that you can make and then keep it. Right. And make and keep that commitment and then do the next one and then the next one and the next one. And his whole point is every day you can choose to start with by making a commitment and to keep it. And the clarity, the integrity, the power that starts to come from that happens. And so his whole premise was you want to change the world, make your bed. It starts in the little things and it perpetuates out into the bigger things.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's super powerful. I think it's about being aware of the things that you commit to, but you're not actually doing. Because I think a lot of people don't necessarily think of it like that. Like people press news on the alarm and they don't necessarily think about it. I am losing trust in myself, or they make a commitment that they're going to go to lunch with somebody and then either show up late or end up canceling. Like, I don't think people think about it as an opportunity to build a little bit of trust with yourself and build a little bit of self-confidence with yourself. And I'm glad that you talked about following through with the commitments that you make to yourself, because that's kind of a, a phrase and a topic that I like to, like to talk about a lot. Following through with the promises that you make to yourself is a big self-confidence builder. And that's something that I'm trying to constantly work on. So I want to ask for you personally is what is the, what helps hold you accountable to following through with the promises that you make to yourself? Yeah. Um, for me, Nick,
1: the most important thing is kind of the awareness that, you know, that, These promises to myself are just that. They are promises. Mm. They are commitments because like you just said, it's very easy to just say, you know, setting the alarm to get up. That's not a commitment. Right. (laughs) But, but when I start to say, you know, my, my word is my bond and, you know, integrity is my, my, is a source of of any power I might have. And, and integrity really means that. You know, we do what we say we're going to do. We are who we say that we are. If we say that we value something, we do it. And, you know, we're aligned, we're congruent, we're authentic. Mm. That's having integrity. You, we walk the talk, we say it, and then we do it. Um, honesty, by contrast, is, you know, kind of when our words match reality. But integrity is when our reality matches our words. And so for me, it starts with, how do I hold myself accountable? Well, I see it as a matter of integrity, okay. and I'm a person of integrity. That if I stand for something, I want to live true to what I stand for. If I have values, I want to be true to those values, and to see that not just as a nice to do, but as an integrity issue. So that's number one: is is is, is to view it as an integrity issue, not just a flippant. Ah, I'll do it or I won't, and and that gives me a greater sense of I want to be a person of integrity. I want to be accountable to that, and then I would say the second yes. thing. For me is also kind of to recognize that kind of all the other emerging consequences, both good and bad, that flow, that come from being accountable and and doing what I'm saying I'm going to do and standing true to my values. I've learned not only as a matter of integrity, but that when I have integrity, I do better. I perform better. My life goes better. I feel more confident. I feel more self trust and, and I feel more congruent, more authentic, more real. And I like that. And I, and I, and I also will perform better in whatever I'm doing, whether it's giving a presentation or just being with my family. I'm more present. I'm more in the moment. Whereas if I begin to lose that sense of clarity, integrity and power that comes from that, it affects me in these other ways where I become a little bit distracted and, and maybe not as clear. Maybe more self-serving in my focus, and I don't like that as much. And and so is that is for me? It's kind of the awareness of it's an integrity matter, and in, and integrity does matter. It makes me better, and I right. like myself better. I'm a better best. I'm a better me. Right. I operate with integrity.
0: Yeah. No. I think I think that's really powerful because, like you said, you just have to like see it as a little bit more important than just this, like you said, a flippant thing that's just kind of on your schedule or maybe on your to-do list. So I love the topic of trusting yourself and building that self-trust, but let's get a little bit into the kind of like the relationships. How did somebody know if they're in a low trust relationships? Like what are some, what are some of the signs like whether it's, and it doesn't even have to be a significant other, or it could just be in the workforce. It could be a friend. Like how does somebody know if they can't, if they're not able to trust somebody else and if that person's not able to trust them? Yeah.
1: Well, it it will tend to get manifest in, the behavior, the interactions. When there's lower trust between people, you'll see it because they're not talking straight. <laughs> they're, they're spinning. They're, they're twisting, manipulating. They're, you know, telling people what they want to hear or what yeah. makes them look good. But it's not authentic. It's not real. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just kind of transactional and, mm-hmm. and, and, um, versus true authentic behavior. You see it. So you see it in the communication. You'll see it on whether they're open and, and, uh, or closed. They have hidden agendas. You know, do you have hidden agendas? Are you hiding things? Are there things you really are not saying because you don't feel you can trust the person? And vice versa, maybe they're not saying it because they don't trust you. So you see hidden agendas. You see a lot of finger pointing and blaming versus kind of looking in the mirror and taking responsibility. You'll see people not really listening. Or if they do listen, it's just kind of efficient listening with the intent to reply, not with the intent to really understand. Right. People don't give each other the benefit of the doubt and they don't extend trust to each other. And, and uh, so you're seeing a whole variety of different ways, but it also is exhausting when people don't trust each other It's draining the relationships. It's no fun. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, the data on this is overwhelming. Uh, uh Paul Zach is a neuroscientist and, and he wrote an article published in Harvard business review called the neuroscience of trust. And it shows this, that in, in high, in, in, high trust cultures so in a workforce you build a culture of high trust where people can trust each other those cultures are a hundred and six percent more energized mm. than in low trust cultures and they're 76 percent more engaged with 72 percent less stress right 40 percent less burnout and when there's low trust it's just the opposite it is exhausting it is no fun and that's true at a, at a team, at a cultural level, at a team level. But I even believe, Nick, at a relationship level, you know, the best relationships, the most inspiring ones, the happiest ones, the f- most enjoyable, the f- most fun, as well as the most creative and productive are those in which people can trust each other. So you perform better and you enjoy it more and you're more energized, whereas low trust is exhausting, it's no fun, and you, you hardly get anything done. Right. Uh, so you kind of just assess where are we at. And you can even ask, you know, do I do I feel trust in this person? Do they feel trust in me? And 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 most people can kind of sense when they're they're not trusting
0: each, you know, the other person. Right. I like when you I like when you said um, the relationship is transactional. You know what I mean? Because it's like you're not really getting to know the person. And if something is solely transactional, you get to the point where the end can justify the means in the sense like it's not necessarily matter how you get there, but as long as the end result, the end transaction is where it needs to be, then that's all that matters. Um, and then I kind of like how it, you also go to the point where, you know, you're talking about how it helps businesses in the relationships within that business, right? Because your trust is this very, like, you know, like you say, it's a soft topic. Uh, a lot of people think it's about like just integrity and and it's, it kind of ends there. But you talk about how it's hard edged, how there's a business and economic uh, part of it and how speed or how trust increases speed and decreases cost so tell me a little talk a little bit about those those things about how trust increases speed and decreases cost and that whole idea yeah yeah so
1: this is kind of what I think is one of the most important kind of contributions I'm trying to make to the field of trust is to reframe it because you know most people see it as yeah a good thing everyone's in favor of trust you know right. who's going to say I'm against trust you know yeah. everyone's in favor <laughs> But still, for many people, it's kind of a nice to have, soft, warm and fuzzy, you know, touchy-feely, nice to have social virtue. Always seen as a good thing, but, but just kind of soft. And I say, look, there are the, there is the social virtue side of trust. It is a wonderful social virtue. And it is also financial. It is economic. It is a source of value. Why? Because it affects the speed at which we can move and the cost of everything. And if you think about it, when trust goes down in any relationship or when it goes down on a team or inside of a company, when there's low trust with a customer, with a partner, anywhere, when trust goes down, what you will find is that the speed will go down with it. It will take you longer to do anything you have to do, and the cost will go up. It will cost you more. you got to check. you got to verify. you got to validate. you got to deal with the rules and regulations and bureaucracy and redundancy that tend to get put in place when there's low trust everywhere. And that's a tax. It's a low trust tax and it's all around us in our low trust world. You know, so if you just think about if, if any of our listeners are about, if you, if you're working with someone at work where there's low trust, you know, what's it like to work with that person when you yeah. don't trust that, that person? And you know, it's just, it's exhausting. It's slow. It's high cost. That's the tax. But the good news, Nick, is that the converse is equally true. And when the trust goes up in relationships, and on a team, or between teams, in your company, with customers, with partners, in the marketplace, in your family, in your community, anywhere you want to turn. When the trust goes up, the speed goes up with it, the cost comes down. That is a dividend. You can move fast. Speed happens when people trust each other, and nothing is as fast as the speed of trust. It's remarkable, and it happens at a business level and at a personal level. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, you've mentioned the phrase, talk straight now, and that's I'm so just like fascinated as to why we're not talking straight nowadays. Is it is that something that has to kind of change? Like if you're in a business setting, is that something that kind of has to change at a cultural level, from cultural level, from up top, for people to start actually talking straight and feeling comfortable to start talking straight? Or can people just kind of get over themselves and just like get it out there and have have a little bit more courage about it? Yes, a little bit of both. Okay,
1: I, I'll acknowledge that you know, you could be inside of a company where everyone spins and it's the name of the game. I've seen it happen all the time where not bad, it's not bad people doing bad, evil things. No, these are good people kind of caught in a culture of spin. Mm-hmm. And, and and so everyone kind of sugarcoats coats it or, or, you know, spins it a little bit to make it look better and everyone's doing it and it seems to work and they get ahead. And, 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 you know, when you come in and kind of just, uh, tell the truth and call things what they are. That can be shocking to, to the people in the culture, and people can say, "Gosh, we don't do that way around here." You know, we kind of always sugarcoat things. But the problem is with that is that trust goes down when it, when the spin is going on. People aren't, no one believes what they're hearing. They're all discounting it, taxing it. But if you can come in and say, "Look, um, I, you know, here's what you can know about me. I always just try to be straightforward." I'm not trying to offend. I'm not trying to alienate. I'm just trying to get be authentic and real. And so, if you declare your intent, and that does take some courage, hmm. and and uh, but you say, you know, I'll always be straightforward with you. So you know, I'll tell you the truth. I'm not going to go behind your back. I'm not going to spin. I'm not going to kind of tell you what you want to hear and then say something behind your back. I'll, I'll just come straightforward to you. I'll be real. I'll be authentic. If you up front will kind of declare yourself. Declare your intent of what you're doing and why you're doing it. That you want to, you want to be authentic. You want to be real. You want to be honest. You want to build trust. That matters to you. That kind of makes it easier and safer for someone to do that. If, if everyone around them is just filled with spin and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, what I call counterfeit behavior and where they're not, you know, where they're technically telling the truth, but they're leaving the wrong impression. You got to change that and model it. And I, and it does take courage. So you are right. And, but how you'll start to begin to shift the culture is by declaring your intent and declaring yourself and telling them why, what and why you're going to act this way. And, and your job as a leader is to go first. Mm-hmm. Someone needs to go first. Leaders go first. And, and by, when I say leader, I'm not referring to the boss. I, they may or may not be the boss. Everyone is a leader. Leadership is a choice, not a position. So I might not be managing a single person. I could be a leader. I lead myself, and and um and so you know I it's, it's a leadership responsibility to say I go first, and I, I lead out by saying there's a better way to operate, and and um and then it tends to come back around because you build the trust. It's easier for people to tell the truth, but it, but you got to tell the truth to build the trust. So it works yeah. both directions.
0: Right. I like, I like the leadership is a choice, not a position. I think that that's super cool and super powerful because I think a lot of people truly believe that in whatever role they play, if they're on a team and they're not necessarily have the position as the leader or they're not the boss or whatever, that they don't feel like they can be a leader. But if you give them across that message, that powerful message that leadership is a choice, not a position, then I feel like it gives them a lot more ownership and, and it gives them a lot more sense of responsibility that they can do more things and declare their intent a little bit more but I want to go a little bit more into that declare your intent because I love that and I'm all about setting an intention and that sort of thing so what, what exactly does that kind of look like like tangibly and practically in in conversations let's let's say in a business like when it's like we need to move the needle in this area of our business and this is what i think we should do for that and why like tell me a little bit more about what that sounds like in, a, in the business setting
1: yes well I, I like what you just said it's it's but it's two halves it's the what and it's the why and we've become pretty good at the what we're not near good enough on the why mm-hmm. and so if you if i'm the leader of a team and i and, and i come in i say team here's what we're trying to do you know here's our objectives and here's how we're going to measure, what we're going to do. Now, here is why we're trying to do it. Here's the why. I'm open. I'm authentic. I declare it. I'm transparent. There's nothing to hide. Because I tell you, so often we, we, give the why, we don't give the why or we don't do very much on the why. Maybe, we maybe give a little, but people aren't, aren't quite sure. Is that the full intent? Or do yeah. you have another agenda?
0: How do we come up with that why? Because I feel like one of the big things maybe people... Don't voice it is because they don't feel strongly enough or they don't feel like that why is defined enough or clear enough for them. I think it's critical
1: that we always are trying to define the why to everything we're doing. What's the why in this? Um, you know, and we're always seeking mutual benefit. Win, win. Yes, I want to win, but I want you to win too. So if this is our goal, I'm always looking at how does this also benefit those that are helping us achieve the goal? I'm trying to look for the why, both for myself but for others. And and you're exactly right. We don't just we can't just assume this. We can't just think that it's implicit. We have to we have to create it. We have to assess it. We have to bring it, you know bring it into existence. We have to find our why for both mm-hmm. for ourselves, but also for those that we work with, those that we lead, because that's where inspiration comes. And and uh, to to inspire people and and to give them the why. You know, I love Simon Sinek's work on you know you know on finding out finding out the why finding your why and start with why so the what does matter but the why gives meaning and context and that's what taps into motivation and into inspiration and and then it also requires you to be a little bit vulnerable to give the why and and to be really open really transparent and that's what really declaring your intent is is to say here's what we're trying to do here's why we're trying to do it here's our agenda Here's my agenda. It's not a hidden agenda. It's open. It's transparent. And I'll tell you what, you're a bit vulnerable because it might be that you say, look, we, you know, my agenda is to, we want to achieve this because we need to win in the marketplace. And I'm, and we, we can't win if you don't win. It's got to be win-win. And, and it, it, it opens myself up. I expose myself. I'm, I take a risk. I'm vulnerable, but trust comes from that. When people see that you're authentic and real, when you don't declare your intent, people ascribe intent to you anyways. They're going to assume it. They're going to guess it. They're going to ascribe it to you. And they often do it based upon their fears or worst case scenarios. So start with why, declare your why, and and make sure your why is mutual benefit, not just self-serving.
0: Okay. Yeah. It sounds like a it's really important for a team, any kind of team, whether it's a sports team, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a, a business team, that you come up with a common why. That you all have this idea that you know you're going after a specific thing for this specific reason, right? You have a common goal because this particular reason. So how does, what can a team's do, whether it's a relationship or a sports team, whatever, how can, what's the conversation need to be like when they get together to actually determine what that why is? Because I feel like the the like we talked about earlier, the what is the easier part. How do we determine the why in a particular team? What's that conversation sound like?
1: Yeah. I, I think you're that is a great conversation, Nick, because the what is easier, the why is harder, the why is more important. The more you can involve people mm. in the process, the more commitment you'll have. Versus coming in and just dictating the why. The why really does involve everybody. And if you come in and say, Let's talk about why we want to do this. Let's listen to everybody. What's your why? And we're trying to, you know, we're trying to co-mission, overlap our missions, our whys to try to make this real for all of us as best we can. And the more involvement, the more commitment that we'll have from people. The less involvement, the less commitment there will be. And mm-hmm. and so so we involve people. We listen first to what people have to say. We demonstrate respect for what they what we hear. See, oftentimes people they their listening is really just kind of waiting their turn. They're not seeking to understand when you listen with the intent to understand to say, okay, so if I understand you're right, you're a why what's important to you is that you have a chance to really develop your capabilities and your talents. And you're happy to do that and have the company win too. But what's most important to you is that is that as the company succeeds, you want to also develop your ability so you can continue to succeed most. Am I capturing that? See, am I, I'm, I'm really trying to listen. I'm trying to understand. And too often we just listen, okay, okay, that's next, 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 and and people don't feel understood. But when we listen and understand, when we demonstrate respect for what we hear, when we involve people yeah. in it, we can gain enormous commitment. And from that, great things will will happen. Can, can I give you a, a, a fascinating example of, of a team coming together with a great why that achieved a phenomenal outcome you know we I've been following uh these these uh, uh climbing expeditions on everest now everest okay. and you know and and now there's getting to, to be a lot of people going up so there's traffic jams almost up there but one of perhaps the most successful ascent in history happened a few years ago where Eric Weinmeyer Eric Weinmeier describes himself as the blind guy who who, who climbed Everest. <laughs> that's the that's how he describes himself. So he you know he he's he's blind and completely blind. What's that? Completely blind. Yes, he had sight younger, but he went blind. He's completely blind, and and uh, but he's he trained for years and and um and he got a team and they they came together and they had a very clear why. And their why was get Eric to the top. President, oh cool. get me to the top, get you to the top. It was get Eric to the top. It was very clear. And everyone, if they came together, they were clear on it. This had never happened. They wanted Eric to, to succeed, to be the first blind person to climb Everest. They came together. Their why was clear. They declared it. They were involved with it. They were committed to it. And, what happened on that day? It was a few years ago, and this has been documented. Um, they Eric not only made it to the to the top of the summit, but they had a total of nineteen people from that team make it to the top, which is the most that any summit has ever had. And so, not only did M did Eric succeed, but the the greatest ascent in summit history at Everest succeeded because it was a team that had a clear objective a clear why that they were all committed to and they not only achieved the why for Eric they had the greatest success for everybody else as well it unprecedented it shows you the power of having a clear objective and a clear why and everyone bought
0: into the why I think that that is unbelievably so powerful I think that just talks to the the broader idea of like having declaring an intention and kind of setting a goal or setting an aim because I feel like when you set an aim, then you kind of know at least what direction to start going. Like if you if you don't set any aim, like you're not re- really sure whether to turn left or right, or you're not sure if a decision is going to help you get a little bit closer. Because like if you don't set an aim, how do you know if a particular choice you're making is going, or how to which decision to make in order to get closer to that? Right? You have to have something to aim at. You got to have the goal, the objective, and and then you develop your why behind it.
1: And it's just so it's it's, it's simple, but we often just kind of. Assume it, neglect it, and then people bring their own meaning to it. And, and we're trying to, you know, meaning is not in things. Meaning is in people. It's in dialogue. It's in understanding. And and there's great power from that. But you also build trust. And and in a team that has trust in each other, and you know that inspires. That brings out the best in people. They rise to the occasion. They perform better. They want to prove the trust justified. And that's why my focus has been so much on trust because of what it does to people. It 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 doesn't just, you know, you can motivate people. You can motivate people with kind of carrot and stick, you know, here's the rewards for achieving and then here's the consequences for not achieving, you know, and that motivates. That doesn't inspire. Yeah. What inspires? You know, inspiration is intrinsic. It's inside of people. And to be trusted is the most inspiring form of human motivation it brings out the very best in all of us we want to rise to the occasion we want to prove the chest justified and we also like to give it back and we, and we we perform better um it's interesting when warren buffett you know the the billionaire that acquires companies and and everything and he's not as a great investor and he is but he's also he, he also is an operator he's he's buying these companies and then they're operating as separate autonomous entities. He's acquired some 77-plus companies from Geico Insurance to Fruit of the Loom. And usually when he acquires the company, the, the CEO has now become, you know, fabulously wealthy. They just got their company bought by Warren Buffett. All right. And he doesn't have contracts with them that require them to stay. But he brings them in, and then he basically says – I I bought your company because it's a great company and because I trust you. Run the company the way you've been running. Just, I don't need any new reports different than what you already do on your own. I trust you. And these people don't have to stay. And they stay. They they stay because they like being trusted. Warren Buffett trusts them, and they don't want to let him down and they perform better. They work harder and they stay when they don't have to. Right. Why would someone that's got everything they want stay? It's because of what trust does to people and how they want to prove that justified and give it right back to Warren. You know, and that's the kind of the most fortunate of them all at every level, including those people that maybe don't have those same level of opportunities. When someone believes in them, sees potential in them, has confidence in them, extends trust to them, maybe somebody believes in them more than they believe in themselves. They respond to that you are inspired by it. That's leadership. That's the kind of leadership that we need today.
0: I love, I love the energy that you get from seeing people tr- trust other people and what it can do for them. I think that's really cool. So, it, you know, you brought up the topic of how these people who are the CEOs of the companies they stay there, and a topic that I wanted to get to, and what popped to my mind is how millennials and everybody young in the workforce, the time that they stay with a company is super low nowadays. So, what do you, what do you make of it? in terms of why that that time is so low and why we bounce around so much and whether it's a good thing, a bad thing, or or does it even matter? Yeah.
1: Yes. Well I think that it does matter. I know I know from a company standpoint it matters because it's it's very expensive. Right. Well coming and going and constantly be rehiring people, retraining people, getting them up to speed. You know, turnover is very expensive, but also disengagement is expensive because you know, disengagement is when people quit, but they stay. <laughs> so oh, yeah. they're there. They're going <laughs> to do the minimum. They're going to do the minimum, but you, you don't have their heart, their mind, their creativity, their innovation, their passion. They're going to just do what's needed. That's expensive too. You're not tapping into this. And so does it matter? Absolutely. And when people are leaving constantly or when they're quitting and staying, you're, you're, you know, there's a cost to that. So, but I also think it matters to the person because To the individual that's just constantly moving, I think in most cases, what they're looking for is an opportunity to contribute, to make a difference, to be inspired and to inspire others, to matter, to have it, to have it, you know, matter, make a difference. And so if we can bring more meaning and purpose and contribution into our workforce and more trust and inspiration, well, but we'll retain our people better. And let me share a study with you that the Great Place to Work Institute that analyzes workplace cultures just put out recently. They looked at high trust cultures when there's high trust in the culture and where this where the leadership extends trust to their people. And then it gets reciprocated back. They compared that to low trust cultures where it's very command and control, you know, very hierarchical, very rule based versus extending trust to people. And here's what the data shows. Uh, in a high-trust culture, I'm talking now millennials. Let me take millennials, which is kind of the right. the, the generation you highlighted, that millennials respond to trust. A, a different study from Deloitte shows that half the workforce is millennial by 2020, about almost now, half the workforce is millennial, and they want a leadership style that is open, that is collaborative, that is transparent, that is based upon Trust. They feel feel trusted and they can trust back. When they have that, when there's a high-trust culture, companies have a 22 times greater probability of retaining millennials. You heard me right. I didn't say two times. 22 times greater probability of retaining millennials in a high-trust culture than a low-trust culture. Think about it. Millennials don't want to be managed. They want to be led. They want to be inspired. They want to be trusted. And I would say not just millennials. I believe every generation does. And they respond to it. And, And they will stay. Now, again, there might be some situations where the right thing to do is to move on. But so oftentimes people are moving on because they don't feel trusted and they don't feel like they're inspired and they don't feel like they're, they're focused on contribution and meaning. If we can focus on building a culture of trust and creating meaning and purpose and contribution in what, and what we do and why we're doing it, we'll keep our people and people will want to be a part of that and, and we'll get better results and we'll enjoy it more. It's more fun. And, and um you know, when and, and when they're, when it's fun, when it's energizing people, stay they're inspired and they give it
0: back and it becomes a virtuous upward spiral perfect now we're trending in the upward direction um i think that you hit the nail on the head i think like the conversations that i have with people when they leave someplace it's like the few words that come out is i didn't feel like i I had any any responsibility i didn't feel like i was contributing contributing anything or i didn't feel like i was learning and i feel like what you just revealed through your answer was that all those three things have in common is that kind of from up down is a lack of trust in a certain, in a certain sense. It's like, if I'm not contributing, maybe it's because they don't trust you to do the right thing or they don't trust you to do the proper work. Um, so I just think you've nailed it on the head, but I, I'm very interested also still in like the, the proper decisions that we make early on in the career. So what I want to ask for you personally is, is there any most important decision that you had early on in your career that you maybe didn't see the significance of at the time, but now looking back on it, you see it as such an important decision?
1: yeah um i think that i i made a decision early on that i'm grateful i did to go for contribution over kind of just prestige Mm. and and um because i had you know i i i i'd done work uh, at a real estate development company a great company this is all before business school and and um and then I went to uh, Harvard Business School, got my MBA, came out, had, I, had offer, I had an offer on Wall Street, I had an offer back with this real estate development company. Both those jobs were prestigious, a <laughs> lot more pay, a lot more prestige. But I also had a chance to work with my father and what he was doing with this new book that I knew was going to come out soon called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and I just knew that that book was going to make a difference in the world. It was going to have an impact on people. And, and yet, you know, this was my, with, with my father and, and, you know, a small, teeny company. These others were, you know, Wall Street and, and this prestige and far more money and, and this real estate development company that was the largest in the company at the, in the country at the time. Again, prestigious. And, but I kind of looked at this and I said, what, you know, my head says go with the, the prestige, the money, the more sure path. But my heart, my passion says make a difference in the world, make a contribution. And, and I went in that path and, and, um, and that's made all the difference. Now look, I'm not, I'm also aware that sometimes the contribution will follow, you know, succeeding in a career and getting to a place where I feel like I've established myself. I now have a platform. I now can make a difference. So there's, this was just for me. I'm not suggesting it for anybody else because there might be a time where you might say the most important thing for me to do right now is get established in my career and be good at what I'm doing. And I'm going to go with what I'm good at with the idea that I'll evolve to what I'm passionate about as well. Um, and, and, um, but for me at this time, by focusing on what, what I felt my passion was, what I felt inspired to do, I ultimately also found that there could be an economic engine over here and turn this into a business, which we, which we, which we did. And, and so for me, it's always a balancing act of, you know, um, I think it was Jim Collins in his, um, in his good to great talks about the, the three key things, you know, what am I best of the world at? What am I really good at? What am I passionate about? and what drives my economic engine in other words what can i make money at and i'm overlapping those three things my father added a fourth which is what do I what do i feel called to do mm. you know what i feel is my uniqueness my distinctness my contribution and and um and so i just felt kind of followed that path that i felt called to help shape and be part of this big idea that could really help build leaders in the world and, and, um, and that for me made all the difference, but I had to think contribution over accumulation. And that's a key principle. You know, contribution is more important than accumulation, but there's a, there's, you know, there's a hierarchy of needs here and you got to survive. Yes. I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be realistic about it as well.
0: I like that fourth one that your father added the calling. I don't know if you've heard this phrase from, um, John Maxwell before, but he says that a calling is a passion with a divine touch. And I really, Yeah, and so I really, really love that he added that. So why do you think that going with contribution first for you worked? Like, what, when does somebody, like, if somebody's making that decision right now in their head, whether or not to go for contribution or go or kind of go for the prestige, the money right off the bat, how do they know which one to go to?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's truly a great question, and I would say this that that you know you some could take the more secure path. The more knowable path and still contribute there and, and have greater ends in mind for other contributions down the path. The, the important thing is the mindset of always seeking contribution, seeking to bless, not just to impress, seeking to make a difference, mm-hmm. seeking to matter, to leave a legacy. And it can happen in, in either path. Um, so I, again, I don't want to paint it as all good, all bad. No, no, you can seek contribution everywhere. It's, it's a matter of bringing our whole self to our jobs you know, this is your best you that, that you know, it's body, heart, mind, spirit. And the body is the economic need. It needs, you know, we got to have the economic need met. And I could, if someone's going down the contribution path, path and there's, they're not going to be able to live and support their family and make any money, you know, it's not going to work. <laughs> if there's no margin, there's no mission. If you can't survive, that's, you know, not going to work. So that need has to be met. And, and there was enough of a Economic need that was going to be met for me. And someone might be said, I'm going to go into contribution, make a difference, and there's no economics over there. That's not going to work. So you got it you know, the body, the economic need, the heart, which is the social emotional need of connection, of belonging, of feeling like you're, 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 you know, you're part of something. There was, there's respect there. That matters too. The mind, which is I feel like I'm developing my talents and my skills and my, and I and I can make a con you know I I can develop myself and and really add value, but then the spirit is the idea of and it matters. There's contribution in this, but I can apply that in a more traditional job where maybe it's less altruistic. But I but how I approach it is I'm saying I'm going to bring out the best in every person I come in contact with. I'm going to inspire them. I'm going to extend trust to them and help them rise to the occasion. And and so there's many right answers to this. I couldn't answer it for another person, but I think you're always trying to say, what are the four needs? Body, heart, mind, spirit. Try to best overlap all four of those as best you can. And there might be a time in a sequence, uh, you know, a season where maybe one leads over another. You know, balance is somewhat mythical. You're trying to achieve harmony more than just balance. And and I like that. And, and, you know, it's kind of a synergy between
0: the body, heart, mind, spirit. Gotcha. Okay. So getting a little bit closer on time, I want to make sure I get the last couple of questions in. Um, one, I want to talk about regaining trust because I think that's also one of the big, big things that a lot of people don't think is possible. So let's say somebody just made like a big mistake in a relationship with a, a significant other, maybe with a parent, with a friend, with a co-worker. They're like, I screwed up. I lost, I've lost trust with this person. What's the first thing that I can start doing now to begin rebuilding trust with that person? First thing, own
1: it. Take responsibility for it. Um, and, and then, you know, you, well, here's the principle. You can't talk yourself out of a problem that you behaved yourself into. Yeah. Well, we, we've lost someone's trust. You know, words alone won't restore it. I got to behave. My way back into trust, just like I behaved my way out of it. Words alone, words are necessary, but they're insufficient. So, but but here's what it might look like. So if I lost someone trust. The first thing I take responsibility. You know, I'm sorry. I realize what I've done has lost your trust. So I, I, you know, I'm, I'm accountable. I own it. It's hard to restore trust with someone if you're saying it's not really my fault. It was their fault. It's because of this, that. It's, it's a lot harder to. Restore trust with someone if I'm blaming everybody else. I got to own it. Take responsibility. The second thing now, I need to right the wrong. I need to make it right when I'm wrong. So I, I own it. I take responsibility for it. And I say, hey, let me right this wrong as best I can. And that might be, it might need to be an apology. And maybe I try to make restitution. You know, restitution is a legal concept to make whole. I'm doing the best I can to make it right, to make it whole. And sometimes you can do it. You know, you can restore something. Other times you can't really make it whole that way, you have to kind of just stay at it over time. But then I would I would say, I know I gotta behave my way into, into trust. I gotta earn it. I gotta get it back by my actions, not just my words. So going forward, here's what I'm gonna to do to try to regain, re-earn your trust. You know, if I make a commitment, I'm gonna keep it. If I have an issue, I'll come straight to you. If you know, I won't overpromise and deliver. I, you know, I I I basically declare my intent. I tell him what I'm gonna do. Of how do I want to regain, re-earn their trust? I might ask them, what do I need to do to regain, re-earn your trust? And then I say, okay, I hear it. I'm going to do that. Then the most important step is the last one. I now need to do what I just said I was going to do. I just said I was going to do this. I now do it. And I and I behave consistently. I behave my way back into trust, just like I behaved my way out of it. And it's possible to restore it if we do it through our behavior, not just our words, but our behavior, our actions. It's not easy, but it's possible, and that's encouraging because in a low trust world, if we couldn't restore trust, we'd all be circling the drains. <laughs> and and uh, yeah. I believe we can restore it in most situations, but it has to be through our behavior.
0: Yeah, I think if I feel like it just came full circle in the sense that like to g- regain somebody else's trust, it's like. It, no, you can't, it's not enough to just talk. You have to behave, but talk is necessary, right? You have to declare, you have to declare your intent. You have to say what you're going to do. And then, you know what we talked to in the beginning, you actually have to follow through with that promise and that commitment. It all comes back to following through with the things that you say you're going to do. That's right. And so the talk is important.
1: The talk is, here's what I'm going to do. And now I got to do what I say I'm going to do. So words and actions aligned, congruent, authentic, real. Let me tell you why the, why the promise is important to talk. Because making a commitment, telling people what we're going to do that builds hope, and mm-hmm. keeping the commitment builds trust. And when we've lost trust, and when we're in a low trust world, we need both the hope and the trust. And and so we got to make the commitment. We got to keep it. Making the commitment builds hope. Keeping the commitment builds trust. We need both. I know. Um, let me give you a little illustration. I know we're short on time, but I'm okay on my end to go a few minutes longer. Okay. I'll fine. just give you this little story of this. So Nick, a few years ago, my my son turned 16, so he could drive. And um uh, my wife and I sat down with him and said, "Okay, son, driving is a privilege, not a right. So let's go over the rules." And we tried to kind of have common expectations of the rules to drive. We said, "Be safe, go the speed limit, you know, obey the laws, wear your seatbelts." You got it, son. Yeah, got it, dad. Got it, mom. I said, "Are you clear about these rules? Because if you violate the rules, you're, you're going to lose the privilege to drive." And he said, don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> well, everything was great for the first month or so. Then about a month into it, I'll never forget, it was a Friday night at midnight. And all of a sudden, the phone rings. And my wife, his mother, uh, picks up the phone and I hear her say these words. She says, well, I'll let you talk to his father, officer. <laughs> and sure enough, it's the police. My son has been pulled over for speeding. He, he was going 83 miles an hour in a 25 mile an hour zone. And, you know, oh and he, and he, he's a good kid. He just had teenage judgment and he, he said, well, dad, I was just trying to get home for a curfew. So I had to hurry really fast to make it. And I said, <laughs> son, that's good, but not good enough. So we played this thing out. We went to court and the judge fined, he fined my son $555. We made him pay it. It took away most of his savings from a summer job that he had. But then to my surprise, The judge did not take away or suspend his license. He did not. We thought he what He didn't. So guess who did? We did. (laughs) Mom and dad. Why did we take away his license? Because we wanted him to trust us. And we felt like if we didn't agree, if we didn't do what we agreed to do together, hold him accountable to what we mutually agreed, he wouldn't trust us. Neither would his siblings. Well, he was, this was hard. He was embarrassed. He was embarrassed with his friends. It was hard on him, hard on all of us. But I'll never forget. After a few months, actually, is you know several months, he came back to me and said, "Dad, I'm ready to drive again." And I asked him, "Are you clear about the rules?" And he replied, "I've never been more clear about anything in my life." (laughs) Well, here's (laughs) here's the good news. Since that time, Nick, he's been a model driver ever since. How do we know? Well, we see it. We observe it. More importantly, we hear from his friends and from his friends' parents, even. 'Cause you know, his friends might be going with them and and their parents might ask them, Hey, where are you going? And they might say to him, Hey, don't worry, mom, don't worry, don't worry, Dad. We're going with Covey. And that means we are driving way below the speed limit. <laughs> you know, we're wearing seatbelts. This is no fun at all, at all. But what has happened is this my son has behaved himself out of the problem that he had behaved himself into. And today the trust is not only back to where it was, is actually higher than it ever was. He's restored it. How did he do it? Through his behavior. Was it easy? No. But he did it consistent with consistent behavior over time. And today, the trust is higher than it's ever been. It's possible. We all can do this. And people around us can do it. We can be the catalyst to help others restore trust with us too and us with them. And we can build a better world that can trust each other. So I'm very optimistic. I'm not, you know, naive. I recognize it's a low trust world. But I'm saying... Let's listen to our better angels. There's a better way to lead, to operate, and we can help build a virtuous upward spiral. That's what it's all about.
0: Right. I, lo- I think there's both lessons in there in the sense that you be- he behaved himself back into the trust and that you followed through with your word and what you guys said that you were going to do um, in terms of taking away the, the privilege of, hi- of him driving. Because I feel like a lot of – that's such a great parenting lesson that a lot of parents aren't doing you know, they'll, they say that a kid shouldn't do something. And then because they do it and they, it's just, they kind of get a little bit lazy in a sense. I'm not blame, I've never been a parent, so I know it's super hard, but just, I feel like it's a good parenting lesson to follow through with keeping your kid in check, I guess. It's,
1: it's amazing. And the, and the key to that is kind of agreement, mutual agreement of kind of what our expectations of each other are. Cause that way, um, it feels more like natural consequences versus punishment. Yeah. It feels like punishment if I come in as a parent and I'm arbitrary. Here's the penalty. But this was, we agreed to this upfront together. We spent a lot of time on it. So he knew when he did this that he, that there was going to be natural consequences to it. That's uh-huh. quite different. Natural consequences is quite different than arbitrary punishment. And the key to that is an upfront agreement. Having the discussion, having the conversation. It's a great way to build the relationship too with, with kids and not just with kids and parents, but with colleagues, with peers, with, with each other.
0: No, I totally agree because it's like he's not going to get, he's not going to necessarily get mad at you because the expectation was laid out there. You know, it's like you said, it's a natural consequence. I really liked that distinguish, the distinguishment between natural consequence and punishment. Because like you said, I think it's so much more pertainable to any kind of relationship any kind of business relationship, like if you have a specific set of specific expectation with a coworker or a boss sets with you, and you have that straight talk, then any kind of if you don't follow through with whatever was mutually agreed upon, then the natural consequence occurs. And it's not like you have any disdain for that person. It's just what's naturally occurs because of the process. Um, but I want to make sure I get this, this last question. And uh, first off, I want to acknowledge you, um, Stephen, because I think your your passion and your energy is First of all, it's super contagious, and I think it's just been lo- so long-lasting. I mean, you lo- you wrote this book in 2006, and um, you've just been talking about it ever since, but you have not lost any sense of energy, passion, or commitment to what you called earlier as your life's work, and so I think that's really cool, and I want to acknowledge you also for going for contribution early on in your career and not going for the prestige or the money because I think that is something that is super hard because it also you know, when you leave college and and you had a Harvard MBA when you say to kind of you're going to work for your dad, like that, and it is probably not the first thing that you wanted to go tell people, right? So I think that's just really cool that you did that. Um, so also, one go ahead. No, no, you're exactly right. It was,
1: you know, I I I'd tell people I'm going to work with my dad, and, and they'd say, ah, you know, living off the old man, huh? <laughs> and you know, and I just had to kind of just, just be have my own self confidence that. You know, that I'm about what, – what we're going to do here is going to be extraordinary. But but it took a little bit of that self-assurance, um, that self-trust to be able to do that.
0: Right, because you knew the reason why you were doing it, which I think is the why again. Which I had which my just, why. I knew my mm-hmm. why. There you go. There you go. Well, Stephen, tell us a little bit more about where, where people can support you. You're on Twitter at Covey. There's uh, the spe- speedoftrust.com. Where can people support you, find your books and everything like that? You have, came up with a second copy, right? Yes. In fact, um, um, we've got a brand
1: new edition of the Speed of Trust. It's, it's an updated edition because it came out in 20, 2006. But just in this last uh, few months, we've got a new edition out. That's an updated edition. Adds some new data, stories, examples. And, and I give an afterword of 10 reasons why trust is more relevant today than it ever was. So you can go to speedoftrust.com. Um, you can get the book. You can follow me on Twitter at Stephen M. R. Covey, like you were saying. And I would just say this in terms of, of first of all, Nick, I admire you. I think you're following, you're overlapping body, heart, mind, spirit with this best you and, and with this podcast and who you're bringing on and what you're trying to bring out in your guests to help bring out in your listeners. And this to me looks like your, you know, best self, <laughs> and your life's work. And, and and I'm sure there's more. I think, I'm sure it's just the beginning of, of extraordinary contributions that you're making now, then you'll continue to make going forward. So I commend you and I affirm you and admire you for that. And I, and I would say also that maybe, um, my last thought I would just share with our listeners or viewers is that, um, and then again, I learned this from my father. So many of the lessons I learned from my father, but here, here, here was his definition of leadership. He said leadership is communicating people's worth and potential so clearly that they come to see it in themselves. Hmm. And, and so I believe that that's what we can do as leaders. And I think that's an extension of trust, to, to see and to communicate people's potential so clearly that they're inspired to see it in themselves, So they come to see it in themselves. Maybe they didn't see it before, but you do. You believe in them. You affirm them. You extend trust to them. I think most of us have had someone that has done that in, in our lives. I know I have. You know, think back to maybe a coach, maybe a parent, maybe a teacher, a mentor, um, a colleague, a peer, someone that believed in you, took a chance in you, extended trust in you. For me, it was my first boss um, who, who who gave me a chance when when nobody else was giving me a chance. And he believed in me so much I didn't want to let him down. And I and I and I literally performed better because I wanted to give it back to him because I felt so inspired by him. And and so I just ask all of us to reflect upon who is it that has extended trust to each of us? And in some cases, there might be a few people, but probably at least one for most of us. And then my challenge for each of us is let's pay it forward. Mm -hmm. For whom could we be that kind of person, that type of person to another where maybe We could become that person to them. We believe in them. We have confidence in them. We affirm them. We communicate their worth, their potential. We extend trust to them such that they come to see it in themselves and they perform better. And we'll be part, we'll be co-catalysts, all of us, in helping to bring about this renaissance of trust, this virtuous upward spiral. And And they can pay it forward. And the whole idea is let's counteract this low trust world and create a renaissance of trust in our society. We need that. We need more trust in the world, not less. And while it takes two to have trust, Nick, it only takes one to start. And each of us can be that one.
0: That's so cool. That's so cool. Well, I won't, I won't be able to let you go before I do ask this last question, because I do like, like asking the same last question to everybody. So, um, you, you know, you, we talked about earlier how, like a lot of people think trust is this soft, this kind of like soft topic, but you talk about how you make it hard edge and you give tactical, practical steps for people to get a little bit closer to that. And that's how I like to describe the best version of yourself. I think a lot of people just kind of say that phrase, but it's all, for me, it's about defining what the best version of myself actually looks like. What is that person like? What does he think like? What is he doing? What does he act like? How does he treat other people? And to be able to get closer to that particular person. So what I wanna ask for you personally is if there are three things that you could currently do or currently work on To get closer to the best version of yourself. What are those three things that you would currently do or currently work on?
1: Great. And I love that. I love how you're approaching this, similar to how I'm approaching trust, taking something soft, making it tangible, practical. So for me, here's three kind of key things. First, for each of us to recognize that we are the creative force in our life. Mm. We're not programs. We're not victims. We are programmers. We are the creative force of our life. So begin with the end in mind. You know, who, who do we want to be? What do we stand for? What matters to us? We define our values. We define our mission, our meaning. We, we discover it and we, we, we begin with that so that, you know, we know what our best self is. We begin with the end in mind and we recognize we are the creative force in our life. The, Peter Drucker said the best way to predict your future is to create it so yeah. we create our future that's the first thing and in you know versus kind of being a condition of the environment and everything around us no we are the creative force in our life and we recognize that and we start with that second then is my life's work which is if you can build trust in yourself in you as a leader and you as a teammate in you as a person and then you ripple out into your relationships, and onto your team, and with others, and you ripple out from there to the next, and to the next. If you can kind of build a ripple effect of trust, starting with yourself, looking in the mirror, and rippling out from there into all your relationships, that will be that will have that multiplier effect on everybody else, and it will literally er- elevate everyone around around you and around us, and will 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 impact all those that we come in contact with. You know, high trust is a rising tide. It lifts every boat. Whereas low trust is a destructive tax. It, it it diminishes at every gate. So start, you know, become the creative force in your life. Build the trust, starting with yourself, and let that ripple out. What's the effect of that? And then finally, the third would be now you started with yourself, but now you pay it forward. You mm. give back. You See it in somebody else. You affirm that person. You believe in them. You show confidence in them. You extend trust in them. And you, you know, you see and communicate their worth and potential so clearly that they are inspired to see it in themselves. And you watch what happens with them and how that, that they become the, they, they become the creative force in their life and they build trust and give it back to somebody else. And we begin this virtuous cycle this virtual cycle of a renaissance of trust in the world so those are the three things
0: you got me super inspired that that was so cool how that ended uh that was awesome well i appreciate your time steven that was great thanks nick great to be with you and again i i admire what you're doing and and
1: helping people becoming the very best version of themselves is is superb
0: thanks steven There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, share it with one friend or family member. Just take the link from the podcast or text them, hey, check this out, nickcarrier.com slash podcast, and it'll take them right to the episode. And remember, don't miss out on your chance to win the newly announced giveaway. Go to nickcarrier.com slash giveaway to get the details on how to enter for your chance to win one best you coffee mug, two best you pens, and a $50 Visa gift card. Don't miss out. We want to spread this message. If you know someone who is lacking trust in themselves or maybe lacking some self-confidence, send them this episode. If there's someone in your life that you want to trust or you want them to trust you more, send them this episode. Let them know you're ready to talk straight with them and to stop spinning in circles. The lessons that Steven shared in this episode, yes, are motivating, inspiring, but they're hard-edged. They're practical and tactical things that you can start taking action on right now. Allow those lessons to equip you with things you can do to move the needle in your own life so that you can increase trust, increase speed, and decrease cost. To learn more about Stephen, you can find him on Twitter at M. Covey, Remember, that's with a pH, And I'd highly recommend you go to speedoftrust.com to get a copy of his book so that you can take further notes and further action on some of these awesome lessons. And before you leave, don't forget to rate and review the show to tell me what your favorite part was. That's going to be the best way for you to support this podcast and help spread it to more and more people so we can all work together to get closer to our best selves. Remember, guys, you can't talk yourself out of a problem that you behaved yourself into. It takes two to build trust, but it only takes one to initiate the process. Share this episode with a friend, family member, colleague, coworker, your boss, so that we can all start that upward spiral out of the low trust world that we currently live in. For now, you know what time it is. It's time to go out and upgrade yourself today to get closer and closer to your best you.